Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Nice, dude. Mm. So what should we talk about? I was struck in the prayer just then, asking for peace and joy and fun for Mike as he is uh, ministering to 50,000 people on post. uh, (laughs) I had this image actually earlier in the week. It was one of the readings. Uh, Well, today was I send you like sheep among wolves. It's been all these readings in Matthew, I think, of, of sending the apostles out. And um, just how um, how kind of absurd it is, like how ragtag this group is and how helpless and unequipped they are for this immense task of evangelizing the entire world. And how if you wanted to set it up as like a, a joke, that'd be a good way to do it. Um, and it reminded me of the two standards meditation, which we've talked about before and like the invisible reality versus the visible reality and Satan, his army appears strong and he lures people in with riches and pride. Whereas Jesus's army is appears weak and lowly and poor. And he, he attracts his soldiers through insults and humility. And, um, I thought of like me and Byrne watched the Goonies last week, which I had never seen all the way through. I think it was too, too ribald for me when I was a little kid. Uh, so I wasn't allowed to watch it, but I remember like the pirate ship scene at the end and, and stuff. It was a, it was a bit rough and it was a lot of screaming, which I'm not a huge fan of movies <laughs> that just is screaming the whole time. Um, hey, what does the word ribald mean? I'm asking ribald. for Rob. Mm. ribald it's like uh thank you uh you're welcome (laughs) like innuendo and double entendre sexual humor basically oh okay okay i think so yeah referring to sexual matters in an amusingly coarse or irreverent way okay um there you go rob so just so you know rob but i thought of like or the lost boys from peter pan like this this just group of kind of children playing make-believe and um the thing that god and the reason god gives us a job is not because he's like really in need of our help (laughs) that's sort of a ridiculous thing to think metaphysically so if the the only reason he gives us something to do is to draw us close to him um and share his joy you know so that that prayer just really struck me like that's what we've been talking about these last few weeks too, and living the Christian life, like getting caught up so much in what we are doing. And this has been a big thing for me in the last year or so, just through IPF and my own interior life, like serving God or serving my list of accomplishments or record that's more or less unstained by sin. So I like, I I'm scot free. Like I don't owe God anything. Um, you know, that sort of idolatry of, of self-aggrandizement rather than just being a little kid with a toy sword who's whipping the devil's butt because I'm humble 
and I don't think about myself and I'm not trying to hoard up good works to show God what a good guy I am and prove to him and make it impossible for him not to love me. Um, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like 50,000 soldiers and one priest, there it is. Like you can still be joyful. You have to be. Mm -hmm. Cause what are you going to do? Be like, that's my job. I guess this is what Jesus wants is for me to just be miserable and suffer and never say no. I know. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Actually, I, well, two things that come to mind <clears throat> as we're just talking about it right now is, um, one, I've recognized that I have the temptation more than I did at the parish. Um, I, I would shirk it a bit more. I, I would sh intentionally shirk it hard at the parish. Was Shirk um, it hard. Shirk it hard. <clears throat> Band name, I call it. <laughs> I was going to say it's kind of a dance move. <laughs> <laughs> um, is the, the, like the need to describe to everybody how busy you are. Yeah. Man. Dude, that's I like that. I I feel that that's definitely a part of the army culture, mm -hmm. where you just kind of catch up and you're like, "What's going on?" And you're like, "Dude, I can't believe it's still today because I've done so many things today." Right. You're like, oh, no, man, but check this me. out though, dude. Check out how much stuff I've done. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, my day <laughs> it's actually two days because I didn't sleep last night because I was doing so many things during the <laughs> night, which is all one day. <laughs> what your days are only 24 hours mine are 48 hours <laughs> wow. it's like very tempting to do and especially when you have the i almost did it right there especially when you have a reason because you actually are so busy which i am obviously okay <laughs> um that that's like something that i feel very powerfully and i think a part of it is because you also get raided and so there's this like r-i-t-e-d r-a-t-e-d is that yeah, what you not said? Rated, as in like they're raiding your room and tossing cells and seeing. No, if yeah, not. <laughs> Although that <laughs> does happen too. That we had, yeah. So it's the R A T E D, um, which is like a, a little subtle incentive to let people know what you're doing, so that then you can be rewarded for it on your evaluations. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's also a part of the the subculture to it. But dude, imagine if your Uber driver who also gets rated. Was letting you know, like, hey, I'm using my turn signal right now. Just so you know, <laughs> I've been driving all day and I use two hands. Yeah. Are you kidding Ten me? 10 and Look 2, baby. 10 and 2 here. All right. Uh -huh. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> Had a long Sticking day. Sticking it. 40 MPH. Are you seeing that? Right. <laughs> Do you see that speed limit sign? You see that odometer right there? Speedometer. But then the uh, uh, graces, like, I remember thinking about my, um, well, kind of big families that um, for a helicopter parent to be a helicopter parent, it's only possible if you have limited number of people to helicopter over. And then if you have 11 people to helicopter as a parent, it becomes so overwhelmingly impossible that you have to give up on that's clearly not possible. So you, ha sure. you have to give up on the venture entirely and you have to find a new way to parent because you can't hover over 11 children. So actually the impossibility of the task frees you from like a lie that comes along with the task. And that's kind of how I feel, honestly. Like 50,000 soldiers, one priest. <laughs> like, you just gotta let it go, man. Yeah. Or else you're gonna drive yourself nuts. Mm. 
Like if a parent tried to hover over 11 different children to protect them and keep them safe and provide everything that they need and be at their beck and call for everything, it's like you would lose your mind. So you just have to give it away mm-hmm. and then just parent the way that the Lord is calling you to parent there. And I, I don't think I made that connection until you kind of mentioned that. But like, honestly, that's kind of, <laughs> that's that's the only sane approach to being mm-hmm. a priest for 50,000 soldiers. Mm. And, and I think that's actually even grace. A, you're not even just a priest too, because don't you have kind of administrative chaplain type duties with the army? Mm-hmm. It's not like you're yeah. just there to be the spiritual support. You actually have a job, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then I have a specific battalion of probably 700 that I'm their chaplain no matter what. And then I have Catholic coverage for everybody else. So yeah, it's a task that's so clearly impossible that it's like, I'm not an idiot, you know, and thanks be to God. um, I know that's not possible. So it's a grace in that sense, I think. Um, This may be be a bad analogy, but I remember it hearing it described what fighting forest fires in Alaska was like because in the summer the mosquitoes are so bad. Um, it's just like they're swarming you constantly. Um, you're just walking through clouds of, mm. of mosquitoes and first year firefighters, they don't allow them to use bug spray for the whole summer because it would drive you crazy if you thought bug spray would solve this problem. Like you just have to hmm. live in the cloud. Hmm. Maybe it's a bad analogy because parishioners are not blood sucking insects, but it's, it <laughs> <laughs> sounds a little demeaning, but it's a similar <laughs> principle at work there. Like you, you start to just like swat and, or you can just let it go and be like, I'm not going to get out of this unbitten, hmm. unwounded. I just need to like, I need to fight this fire, you know, or do this job. Um, that's my perfectionist thing is like, if I'm serving the record, if I'm serving the list of things I've done for God rather than God, then I have to make sure I'm constantly thinking about myself and I'm thinking about that list and I'm thinking about how I'm doing and am I rating and making sure people see it or I see it or God sees it or whatever. And rather than just being responsive to reality, you know, um, responsible to reality too, not just like, Oh, I'm whatever comes up or whatever I feel like doing, I'm just going to do, um, you know, you have an ordered life and discipline mm-hmm. and stuff, but you are not so wrapped up. It's like that, that thing about the parents, like you cannot do this job perfectly. So stop trying or don't think that that's the object of the game. Um, Voila! How long, Good. How long we were gonna? <laughs> yeah, we were gonna keep it. Good. Quiet. People, people are like hitting pause or play. Like, did they stop? Is the episode over? <laughs> <laughs> I've also heard it described as man coverage. Well, first it's double team, and it's just one kid. Then you have two kids, and it's man coverage. 
then you go to three mm-hmm. kids and they're doing zone. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. it was something. Well, go on, Rob. No, it's fun. Um, I agree, like very much um, with all that, and it's not—it's not like trying to, in any way um, to like compare scenarios or anything like that. Um, but I think, especially, like I've had—it's been a really nice um, summer so far. And I was telling you guys about how like fruitful vacation was, and just around like really good friends and really good people um, that I'm very, very grateful for. Um, and so I've been able to reflect in different ways, um, how, yeah, I think, I, I think there's actually been an awareness like most of the time and in certain moments of it, like being really overwhelming of like new responsibilities and, um, like things that are on your, on your plate, like at least in my life and, um, to where, it's not 50,000 soldiers, but it's still responsibilities of like, man, okay, this, this isn't like, you can't helicopter parent this, like to, to use that good analogy there. Um, but man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of moments of like just feeling overwhelmed and blindsided a lot, like in everything like that. Um, but I think what's fun right now is just to kind of be in a place where, you you kind of feel more and more like on solid ground and like your feet are getting under you in a way. And like, you just have, I don't know, like creativity starts to come in and, and all of that as, as well. So anyway, nothing specific there. I was just thinking on, um, on that. It's, I think that's the fruit of like what you guys were saying there. Yeah, dude, it's, <clears throat> it, it's been fruitful prayer and just kind of like thought process for me was it something that I mentioned a while back on the podcast that was genius? No surprise. I was going to say something I said really struck me, (laughs) (laughs) but I took it from Benedict in the intro to Christianity. And so, um, I guess credit where credit's due. I'll give credit to Benedict. Um, but he talks about, uh, a description of what faith really is. And that in the, the modern, um, I guess it'd be even, well, probably post-enlightenment stage of history that we have we have looked at faith from the perspective of um, like practical application, almost as a tool to be used. And so he, he describes it as like a techne knowledge or a, or a techne virtue. Um, like it's almost like an artifact that can be used to create so that it's, it's viewed by its utility and it's faith, faith, faith. Mm -hmm. So he says um, the kind of post enlightenment understanding of faith is uh, knowing leads to creating, but actual faith is um, where you stand leads to understanding. So knowing leads to creating, which is like knowledge is power. Francis Bacon. Like the and science, the more we know, the more we can do. Which which we also bought into from the faith perspective, which is um, the more that you know about the faith, the more the better of a Christian that you are. And mm-hmm. the better of a Christian that you are, the more you go out and change the world. Go make a difference. We can you make can a difference. You can make a difference. 
so that's like that song is oddly enough is like a microcosm of of that train of thought where semi pelagians we are semi pelagians <laughs> which it it turns faith and christianity and relationship with christ into like a type of philanthropy where it's only good so far as it benefits what you make and create in the world <clears throat> and he says that's that's not that that comes at it from almost the perspective of, of the adre like to do but what it really means to be Christian and what, what faith authentically means is it's who you are and who you are is it's, it's where you stand and what you're talking about, like feeling that firmness where you can stand that faith is it. And it, this is kind of my interpretation of it is it's like the place in reality where you choose to, to remain, to stand that you take in the rest of reality. Mm. So, that's the perspective that you actually engage life from. And the perspective is everything, which also fits with kind of like the, the relativistic mindset. I think that's actually true where you stand, it actually shapes what you're looking at mm-hmm. and the proper place to stand is with Christ to actually mm-hmm. understand reality as it is. And that has just been like a really simple, that's such a simple idea like where where am i standing today not like am i learning more am i doing more for christ but it's like from what place did i take in the day from from what place did i stand from and i had a, a real big grace it was today celebrating mass that uh, i love after receiving communion just like putting my hands on the altar and hearing dmac talk about at the mass the altar is christ and so you like you just received christ and you're standing in front of the altar as a priest celebrating mass. And like, I like to put my hands on the altar to kind of feel, feel the altar. And it was like, dude, this is the place to stand. It's like, this is it. This is where I want to stand. And I don't even know what I'm thinking right now, but hmm. my whole priesthood, I just want to stand here. And so hmm. like all these other things can kind of come and go, but as long as I'm standing at this altar, like, I think the rest will take care of itself, you know? And so it's just like a really concrete moment of clarity of what I think that concept looks like in real life. Mm. It's, But I also felt very grounded, like I had that solid footing under me. Um, it's like, that's that's where I want to stand as a priest. and I, And I think that's authentic faith right there. Um, so Ratzinger's description of that, I don't know if that made sense to you guys, but it's been simple, not simplistic, but simple and really helpful in kind of entering into an environment and like a landscape that's really constantly fluctuating and moving. And it's like, ah, where, where do I get my feet set here? And yeah. Christ always offers that, you know? No, it's good, man. Um, yeah, that's really good. And even, um, I don't think this will pivot really, but I was thinking I, it, when one of the things I've reflected on since being back, um, <clears throat> in a sense, when I was gone for those couple of weeks, like I was in, I was with my family for a week and then I was up with the Wichita guys and I stayed in Lincoln with um, like good friends, Drew and Emily and, and saw Martha and um I thought, man, I was 
like a part of in those in that vacation like three very distinct and unique cultures like microcosms but i was like very comfortable this takes me back to actually the last podcast maybe one of the last podcasts we did of just like feeling like the objective reality has been there but feeling more and more of like no when i'm home doing laundry like i'm a priest and like that was just a felt thing in all of these like stellar catholic cultures like whether it be my family or the wichita guys or my friends in in lincoln and i was telling you before the cast i mean i literally like after being back a couple of days like i wept in a holy hour like just thinking about how grateful i am like for like those those people and um and it was it was kind of funny in a way of like oh my gosh all of those people are like so like good and like just better people than me it's like this undeserved gratitude you know um in it but then even being back like settled in like very quickly um to to the parish here and like the summer schedule and everything but it's it's i i just love that image of like christ being the altar and like the grounding was there to where it was almost like this you know just in the last three weeks of my life been able to see like different angles of this prism of like whatever that reality is but like he's the same in all of that I don't know if that fits at all or makes sense. It was just, yeah, thinking about my last couple of weeks in the context of it. Yeah, it's like this, it's this interior drama that we're describing. Um, that's not like the first question that comes to my mind is how is this not quietism, what we're describing, which is that you can't do anything. <laughs> God has to do everything. So just sit and pray and never do anything. Um, cause God doesn't need you to do anything anyway. So that's the extreme, but, um, both things are true. Never, you know, that it is true that we can't add anything to God's greatness. And yet he tells us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the father, son, and Holy spirit. It gives us this, this job to do as his priest, um, that he needs us to do. He makes himself vulnerable and need us. I remember that was a big moment, like my first year in the parish it was on a long day. <clears throat> I thought I'd been doing a lot of work and um, somebody called the parish and needed me to bring them communion to a dying uh, elderly relative. And I went and got Jesus in the tabernacle and put him in my pocket and in my picks and drove to this house. And I was just like, Lord, why would you make yourself need me to drive you? to this person's house. Um, and it was one of those kind of aha moments, like the baby Jesus. Why would he, why would God make himself need us so much, be so vulnerable uh, precisely to call us out of ourselves. And so like, there's this interplay between the, the rock just standing there next to this rock, Jesus, and being like, I can do nothing without you. Um, and so I just want to stand here all day. Um, and then he like also sends us out like sheep among wolves and don't take a money sack or anything like glorify me by living insanely holy lives, be saints, you know? Um, so both things are true. It's not quietism, but it's this interior drama 
that most of the action is invisible. In fact, all the interesting action is invisible. You know, like holiness and stuff. I'm just worried about your salvation and stuff. Um, <laughs> Nacho Libre. <laughs> Don't, what does he say? <laughs> Don't hate me just because. <laughs> because I believe in because science. I believe in science. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, be happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I watched uh talking about holiness and stuff, I watched a uh secret <laughs> a secret uh sneak preview of the Mich- Michelle Dupong documentary, which Rob, have you seen that? No, I heard her causes open, but I haven't seen any mm-hmm. anything of the documentary. They showed it, I think, to focus missionaries at, at New Staff Training. It's like the early cut, so I'm I'm sure it'll be cool. coming out soon, but it's beautiful story and were you on her team no no she was at um so we overlapped in focus but we were never on the same team she was at nebraska before i was so we were never on the same team so focus missionary she died of cancer um when she was like in her early 30s i guess yeah yep scott knew her from his time in lincoln derek maybe derek knew her from being at focus missionaries at the same time so they used to go when she was at cancer center of america yeah, in Chicago at the Cancer Center, they'd go visit her. And that's how I'd heard her name before. But um, just an ordinary story of holiness. But there was this one moment that uh, really got me where she, the do- doctor basically came in, who'd been her doctor for months, um, trying to fight this cancer, came in and basically gave her the news, like there's a time when there's just not anything else we can do. And you have to let nature take its course. And her sister was telling the story of how she put her head down and a few seconds later just looked up at the doctor and said, doctor, and whatever his name was, like, how are you doing today? Like basically just forget herself, you know, like, Mm. and it was almost like a techne. It's almost like faith was a little hack there of like, how do I not get lost in this sadness? Mm. Um, but I don't think it was like when I when I heard that story, it was more like blessed are those who mourn, you know, like you're just you're not lost in your sadness. You it like stimulates you to be a more generous person, like your heart is pierced and therefore open to others. Hmm. Um, and I, I think that to me is actually interesting or, or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm reading this book on the Beatitudes right now. So I'm thinking of this, but, um, that actually Mal Kloss sent me and you, I have, I haven't started it yet, but that's good. It's good stuff. Out. Yeah. Um, this is in lieu of a thank you note, but I will, I still do owe her a thank you note. Um, thanks Mal. If she listens, but, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Her point in the book is like, what that doesn't mean is really, really pining after other people being better people. You know, like my hunger and thirst for righteousness is like political primarily, you know, it might eventually manifest itself in some kind of political action, but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, first of all, hunger for holiness in their own life, you know? And so a practical implication of that is that any correction that Christ might give me, like, remove this obstacle to holiness in your life or do this thing, do this act of generosity. I will make you holy by it. You're just hungry. Lord, correct me, you know, which Mm. I'm not that hungry for that. 
<laughs> you know, but like when I read that, I thought I was hungry to be hungry for it. You know, mm-hmm. I want to want that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. kind of freedom. Yeah. Hmm. It reminds me in a way of, um, I just heard the story of uh, Monsignor Greg Ketchum. Did you ever overlap with him at U of I, Connor? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so he died of cancer. Like, I think when we were on our, we were in Santa Barbara on our canonical retreat. So that was like 2018 that oh, he wow. died hmm. of cancer because we were there when he died. But um, not to draw out the story, but when he, he would always be meticulous when he purified the vessels at mass. And that when I was a college student, that like impacted me greatly. And I just thought it was really cool. And um, like he had this deep reverence for, for the Blessed Sacrament, all of that. And I found out later through guys that knew him like better and in a different way than, than I did as a student is that he was like hyper scrupulous in his, in his life, like really, really scrupulous. Um, but I, I just recently heard from, I was visiting w- with another guy from, from that era that I know pretty well and, um, that knew him really, really well and said like part of the purification in his life when, he was getting sick. I I would, my summation would just be like this kind of deepening of a friendship with Jesus. And so he would still have, he was still like meticulous when he would purify vessels as he like knew he was going to die and he was, he was growing acceptance and surrender to that. But it became like a practice, not out of scrupulosity, but out of reverence. And it was like this, subtle thing that externally looked the exact same as like Mm -hmm. five or 10 years before, Mm -hmm. but only like probably the two or three people that knew him best, like even had any notion of what was going on internally Hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I just thought that was like such a cool and like, yeah, beautiful story in a way, but it seemed to be hitting at the same thing. Yeah, man. And that's what I mean about like the list. My unstained record is like scrupulosity is I'm doing this because I'm afraid of messing up and -hmm. what that would mean, which is that I, I can't, um, I can't be sure that I'm loved because I've done everything necessary to force you to love me. Rather, can I do the same thing, purify the vessels very, um, attentively in a way that's like tender and loving because I'm so grateful for this gift that even the tiniest bit of Jesus's body and blood, I want to reverence. Looks exact same way, maybe, but it's like Mm -hmm. a totally different attitude of mind. Um, And it's a gift too. like, that's the other thing is that it has to be him who instructs us. Like even that itself, I think is a temptation of like, how do I become more tender and loving rather than so slavish and fearful? Um, I don't know. That's, that's part of the drama as well. And, in my life at least like i can't it's god's time you know like it's even that hunger for holiness i have to wait for him to correct me and give me the grace to accept correction so then what's the point thomas merton prayer is not something we do it's something god does in us so am i praying right now that i would say you're for sure going and making a difference (laughs) go make a difference man <clears throat> so 
So That's are just we objectively right a, a bad song? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, not even just like the theology. It's just really bad. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm it's okay like with hey that. Soul going out sister to the by train. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's hey soul sisters way better. Yeah, I would. Think <laughs> it make a difference. I, the, I mean, the last thought that I have Agreed. on your your quietism question um, is like I I think be, because it's not just an internal reality. Like I think it's real that um. So like some of the stuff that Christ claims and that his incarnation brings into the world is that he's really changed all of reality, that he's going to be with us always, that he is in all, all, all things in all places at all times, which is like a, a big, broad metaphysical claim. But we know that that's actually true because of the revelation of Jesus, which means that like you can stand with Christ at the altar and be playing football with soldiers out in the middle of the field. Like that, that's entirely possible because so you don't have to be locked into physical prayer at all times, but it's like a, it's a, it, I don't know, a posture or a disposition that you encounter all of reality with at all times. And that's true because like metaphysically, like Jesus is in all places at all times. So you can stand with him everywhere, no matter what. And so you don't have to be locked into, I think of it as, as a juxtaposition or maybe an expansion of the Israelite understanding of God. That like, how can we praise God outside of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. outside of our, outside of our Holy land? Like they had to go through that process of, this destruction of what they believed God was that he was kind of bound to a certain place or a certain time. And then he, he recreated it and then rebuilt it and expanded it. So like, Oh no, you're like way more hmm. than I understood. And you know, honestly, like <laughs> this isn't totally right, but like, it's like the hoverboard. It's like, you just stand there, dude, and he's just going to zing you around, but like always be there. Um, That it's not a place that's just locked into like a specific, um, like now I'm going to pray. Now I'm standing with Jesus. It's like, no, that's just a way of being. And I think that's Ratzinger's point. It's it's a way to be, not something that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so just stand with Jesus at all times. And that's actually possible because it's it's literally meso- metaphysically true that like he has transformed all of reality through his incarnation um because we believe like god's god is who he says he is i am who i am um so that's like a it's a broad claim that's like really unbelievably true so it's also it's like an internal drama but i think it it actually is happening in real time if that makes any sense definitely yeah, I think the invisible reality is more real than the visible reality, which is why political action, if anything, is just like a byproduct of this primary reality, which is invisible and much more important and actually durable fruit that will last. Right. Yep. But more importantly, the hoverboard in Back to the Future, was it three, the one that's in the future where he's wearing two ties? 
that's where the hoverboards come in. Anyway, I seem to remember that they didn't actually, they worked like skateboards, but they didn't, you didn't need to like push off from the ground. You like pushed off the air, right? Mm-hmm. What? Because he went over the water. Remember, he goes over the You're water right. fountain. They can't, they can't go over water though. Oh, they can't go over water. No. So he gets caught up there. Right. So where does the, like, how do you explain that, Mets? Yeah. yeah. Especially with the walking on water. Right. <laughs> gotcha. Man. Cut it. We're not gonna air this episode. <laughs> we've been we've been podcasting we went down in early alley. mornings for a long time and we're better at that than late night <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> All right. Good talk, yo. Yeah. Good to see you guys. It's good to see you. See you soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Follow V Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.